it shook me up and it showed me that the the world is actually really challenging and people are actually going through some really hard things. And if I hadn't experienced those emotions, I would have struggled to be able to relate to people because I just wouldn't understand. Like when my friends would be crying about a guy, I'd just be thinking, you just need to get over it. But actually when you go for it yourself, <laughs> you realize that, man, if only I could just get over it. Because for me, it was hard. It was very hard. I am... Um, I I struggled for, it took me a few years to get over actually. Welcome to the Valuable Podcast, where there is value in every conversation. I'm your host, Victor Sasanya, and today I am joined by Dr. Leanne Armitage, inspirational speaker, author, and co-founder of the Armitage Foundation. In this episode, we discuss Leanne's experience writing and publishing her book, The Power of a Dream. She also opens up about dealing with heartbreak and learning to forgive. First things first, shout out Zencaster, who is the sponsor of this episode and season two of the Valuable Podcast. Zencaster is an all-in-one podcasting platform, which I've personally used from day one to record my podcast. So there's no lies told. I know this platform. I record both quality audio and HD video online using Zencaster. So if you want to start a podcast, then you can too with 30% off your first three months. So go to Z en.ai forward slash valuable one and use my promo code valuable one alternatively just click the link in the description below then apply the code valuable one Zencaster has over 10,000 podcasters like myself in the creator network and they're successfully matching brands and companies with podcasters every day so even if you're a brand interested in sponsoring this show or running a podcast ads to grow your business, go to zen.ai forward slash valuable pod one and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business dreams to life. Without further ado, let's get straight into this episode. Okay, we are officially recording. Um, very excited about this episode. Um, to tell you the truth, I've been waiting for this episode <laughs> with communication and constantly reaching out because sometimes, guys, you have to be persistent and consistent. But um, today I'm joined by Leanne Armitage. Um, and I think, like, just to quickly, just quickly, this is not even advertisement, but I basically read her book, um, The Power of a Dream, and Honestly, I actually stopped reading books because um, of university final year because I now just read economic papers. But um, reading Leanne's book was literally a, a kind of like a breather, right? And and when I read your book, Leanne, I think one thing that was so profound is that you sounded or like when I was reading your book, it's sort of like I was listening to a big sister giving me advice. Mm-hmm. Then like, I was listening to like a mother like giving me advice. Then it was like. <laughs> Auntie, then it was like a friend that like you touched on so many different areas such as like you know mindset motivation but also stuff like forgiveness healing from pain which you won't really necessarily talk to like friends like that so it was so like captivating just reading your book so if you are listening make sure to go on what's amazon or where can they, where can they- yeah they can get it off amazon yeah yeah so I got mine off Amazon so um but yeah make sure to get off Amazon um the power of a dream because honestly you won't regret it and yeah just welcome Leanne first of all I just think I just want to quickly ask you like just straight off the bat like when did you decide you want to write a book 
So I had had the desire to write a book for quite a long time, actually, probably from sixth form. So from about the age of 17, I knew that I want to write a book. So it had always been something I had thought about. I probably started putting pen to paper about two or three years ago. And I managed to write about 10,000 words over two years by just like doing a bit here and there. And then I just kind of stopped because it's not easy to write a book. Um, But then my sister has written her own book, which is about financial literacy. And that really inspired me. And she was really pushing me that you just need to get this book out there. So in December last year, I remember like the day before the 1st of December, which I think was like the 30th or the 31st of November, she was like, look, go and book a meeting with my book coach and just get this started. So I had that meeting and literally I just decided that I'm going to do this. So I managed to complete the book in about two or three months after that. Wow. And so like, so before you had a book coach, you sort of was just doing this on your own by yourself, just right? Yeah, exactly. And the thing is that, Initially, my mindset was that, oh, I want to kind of write an autobiographical, inspirational type book. And because even though there's a lot that goes on in, I mean, I'm 27 now and there's a lot that's happened up till then, but it's still a little bit difficult to write enough to keep people engaged if you're trying to properly write a book. And I think that's why after about 10,000 words, I didn't really know what else to write and I didn't want to waffle. But then when I had a book coach, he kind of made a suggestion that, Um, So his whole business was about using your book as a catalyst for your business development. So as a tool, so not it all being about the book, but the book being used to support your business. So he was saying, if you have strategies in the second part of your book, for example, you could convert those into workshops or seminars. So when he said that, I thought, wow, actually, maybe I'll do that. I'll make the latter part of my book all about practical strategies for achieving your dream. So then once I divided the book into those two things, it meant I condensed the 10,000 words into about 4,000. Actually, no, yeah, I condensed to 10,000 words. I did a few more words to make the first part of the book, the autobiographical part. And then I made the latter part, all of the principles, which allowed me to then write a whole book. So it was having that structure and guidance that the book coach offered me that really helped. Yeah, no, that's powerful. And the fact is when like, you have not struggled for engagement in this book. I'll tell you that for free because when I was reading it, it actually was like, because I don't read um, many sort of fiction books, but the yeah. start for me was kind of like fiction. So yeah. I, I don't want to spoil it for people, but I guess I'm just going to have to spoil it a bit. But so you're talking about, you know, you're walking, there's a helicopter, you're running, <laughs> like there's a helicopter and then boom, like the scene just changed. And uh, mm. I won't spoil it for people, but, um, you know, it was sort of an, uh, sort of an event um that happened that um kind of I would say changed the trajectory of your life absolutely and it's not even it's not even an overreaction to say a statement like that because even earlier today I was having a chat with some other people because I'm gonna feature on someone else's show and um when I was reflecting on my journey I was like wow like that one moment literally changed my entire life because prior to that I I always knew I wanted to be successful I always knew that I wanted to make something out of my life but I didn't really have anything that I was certain about but after that event I I had such a streamlined focus such a determination such a sense of meaning and mission and direction that everything changed yeah and and I guess let's not leave people out of the loop. So you basically witnessed, um, you know, someone got stabbed um, on the road and, and it sparked your ambition or should I say not even ambition, sort of that desire to want to make a change about it. And, and I think you set out then to become a doctor. 
right? And if we fast forward a couple of years, you're currently um, a a working doctor. So um, I just want to sort of digest that process and your journey um, from literally witnessing such a traumatic event to now dancing in the A&E room. (laughs) 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 um, Yeah, so um, talk to me about what was sort of your first steps with um, planning and thinking about, okay, I want to become a doctor? So... I was coming from a background where I didn't know any doctors. I was growing up on a council estate in Peckham. Um, Nobody in my family was medically inclined. There was no one in my social network that I knew. So I didn't really have someone I could just call and say, you know, you're a doctor. What did you do to get there? So I literally had to just Google and do my own research. And after doing that little Google search, I realized the first thing I need to do is get really good grades in my GCSE. So I, I set out with that and it's like, I knew that that was the first step. So I was like, okay, let me focus on the first next step and then I'll figure out the rest as I go along. Um, And I think that's a principle that you can use in many other areas of life. Sometimes we disqualify ourselves from things because we're like, oh, that seems too complicated or I don't know how I'm going to do it. But actually you need to ask yourself, what is the next best move and work from there? And if you can keep doing that, you'll find that you can actually get to to your goal. So that is how I I did it. I, I Googled and then I thought, okay, I need to get the right grades first. And then kind of went from there yeah and you had a bit of a hiccup should I say in your journey when you applied for med school and you saw some declines um and for me it was quite striking because when I read the book and and you're you're talking about your journey like you went to a boarding school you know fantastic grades um scholarship so it was just like everything was adding up so Mm. in your case like what did it add up for you that you thought that your application um got denied I think objectively looking at it, it was probably because I didn't score highly enough on the admissions test. So with medical school, you you get your grades at A level. And then in addition to that, you have to be interviewed. But to be shortlisted for interviews, many medical schools want you to have scored highly on these entrance exams they have. So there are lots of these different hurdles. And I always had the impression that, you know, once I get an interview, I'll be able to show my passion. So I'll definitely get in. But I didn't get invited to any interviews when I first applied, which is why which is why I think I got rejected from everywhere. Um, Because, yeah, they didn't interview me. They just rejected me straight out. And it, mm. it was because I didn't score highly on the admissions test, I think. Yeah, so you, you're basically, so it's like they didn't get a chance to see the personality, the drive, the charisma. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so do you think like that's a major problem in terms of just like the academic system? Because even yourself, sorry, is just like you've had um, the opportunity to be on the flip side where you're now interviewing yeah. um, different people to to join um, work for your foundation, which we'll talk about after. So yeah. like, well, how do you go about it? Um, so I think I think it is an issue. Um there are many hurdles that one has to overcome in the journey to becoming a doctor. And, you know, when you're coming from a disadvantaged background as well, it's like another obstacle, like an admissions test makes it quite difficult because the admissions test is not related to medicine. It's like a kind of IQ type of test. Um, And there are aspects of that test, like say the verbal reason aspect where, you know, if you come from certain backgrounds where you haven't been cultivated in a certain way, you're going to struggle more so on some of the aspects of that test. So I definitely think that tests like that provide a greater obstacles for people who are coming from underrepresented backgrounds. Because like I said, if I had been given 
I'm really sorry about that noise. Um, if I had been given a um, an opportunity to have interview, then they would have seen that I was, you know, as capable as somebody who had scored really highly in that admissions test. But it kind of goes back to the thing that you said at the beginning, Victor, which is about persisting and, you know, really if you know that you want something, you don't you don't step back when things aren't moving as, as you want them to. You have to keep persisting. And to be honest, that is why I did say yes to joining this podcast because I get lots of inter- um, invitations for these kind of interviews. And, you know, it's, it's impossible to say yes to everything. So I noticed that you're being persistent. And that's what made me say I have to respect his persistence because I operate by principles. So if I see that somebody's walking in a certain principle, I have to value that, which is why I said, let me do this interview. Let me make time for it. Wow, that's thank you so much. That's so powerful. And the fact that you value principles says a lot about your character as well, because I value principles as well. And um guys, we just dropped a gem, persistence. Listen, <laughs> you're not if you're not persistent, but there's a way to go about it. I hope I won't pester in you, but I think it's just that genuine sort of um desire to sort of just reach out. I think I spoke about this on a previous podcast with Flynn and we we're talking about sort of outreach and, and, and one of the gems or the tips he told me was sort of like so many people may just, you know, because they're so one minded, they might just reach out to someone on LinkedIn, they keep on spamming them on LinkedIn. But it's sort of like, wait, have you thought if the person's on Twitter or on Instagram, is there another medium you can sort of just kind of touch base with? And I feel that's um, really helpful that you can do. But um, talking about principles, I mean, in your book, you've listed out great principles like the power of a dream and, um, you know, vision, right? Having the right mindset, mentorship and collaboration, facing fear, healing from pain, right? There's so many amazing principles. When you were writing the book, was that did you sort of order them in chronological order or is that just sort of the principles you believe that could take someone from having a dream to bringing it into reality good question I think naturally I knew that vision is the principle you need to start with because you have to have a vision you've got to have something that you're thinking about achieving to even set out to apply principles to get there. So I knew that that one had to be first. I knew that strategy naturally would come second because you need to, once you've got a vision, you need to think about how am I actually going to get there? But there are some of the principles where you can't really order them. So like healing from pain, that is something that's a continuous thing because as a human, we're going to hurt, we're going to be offended, we're going to, you know, be disappointed. And so it's something you have to continuously have a mindset of along your journey but it's not something that neatly fitted anywhere so I thought okay let me put that at the end of the book um, but yes to answer your question the principles were I did try to strategically order them but then there were some that didn't necessarily fit like if it was fifth or third it didn't make a huge difference so I just tried to kind of make it flow <laughs> yeah no absolutely and I feel like even let's just start let's work backwards right because that healing from pain one like everybody wants to talk about vision motivation and I get it because you actually do need to start um with a vision right I, I remember a quote that I read I'll never forget I said that you know vision keeps everyone on track um chaos reigns when the vision laps right so when with leaders you know business um people and mentors if you don't have a vision regarding something right when stuff like COVID or something crazy comes up the sort of like just chaos starts to break out but I feel like one thing that a lot of us don't touch on on our journey whether it's through university whether it's in your careers or growing up is that pain but you you spoke about healing from pain and you spoke a lot about forgiveness right so um for you like and I know it's something that it's not like you just learn it once you get over it because we have to constantly forgive 
but how do you how do we like sort of do we forgive and forget mm. or do we forgive and you know be friends and and get on with life mm. like how does it work for you yeah I think um forgiveness as we've kind of said is a process and it starts with choosing you have to understand and recognize that you have the power to choose to forgive and when you choose to forgive it doesn't mean that all of a sudden you're not going to feel the pain but it means that you're making a conscious effort that you don't want to harbor resentment and anger and frustration in your heart but rather you want to walk in love so when say that person is coming into your mind and you're feeling all upset and emotional it's choosing to say no I'm going to let it go I'm going to let them go I'm going to move forward and what helps me for example to do that is I I I always um, have the mindset that broken people make broken decisions. So in my book, I use the example of the the guy who I thought that I would end up marrying and that not working. And also my father as two examples of two people that really caused me emotional pain that I needed to start navigating through that process of healing and letting them go. And having that mindset that looked like they didn't mean evil against me. They didn't want to cause me pain. It's just, you know, whatever situation they were in or whatever mindset that they had at that stage their actions were stemming from that and when you can choose to look at it from that perspective I don't want to say you see them as a victim but you don't see them as somebody that's trying to perpetrate some evil against you but rather you see them as somebody who is a victim of whatever circumstances they're going through at that moment and they're making decisions from that and I find that when you can have that mindset it helps you to operate from a place of compassion rather than resentment and when you're operating from a place of compassion it's easier to choose to love and it's so important to do this because like resentment and anger and, and, and unforgiveness, they're some of the most toxic emotions. They literally can make you sick. They can bring you to your grave earlier than you're supposed to go there because of the even the physiological impact that they have on your body. And so if it does that to your body, like carrying that in your mind, that heaviness, how can you think creatively? How can you be your best if you're full of all of this negativity? And that's why there's so much power in choosing to let go because sometimes like your natural human instinct can make you feel like no why should I let them go because it's almost like we feel empowered when we're holding on to pain and hurt and resentment because they're so bad and I don't want to but actually when you just let them go it frees you so it's actually even though it seems like a selfless act it's actually also selfish because it's it's about you and your well-being and sometimes you have to be selfish to be selfless because if you're not in a healthy place then how can you serve others effectively you know, and whether you're serving through business to make money or serving through charity, ultimately, to really be effective in this world, you need to have a mindset of I want to add value, I want to serve people. And it's easier to do that when you're when you're free in your mind and free in your heart. So that's yeah. why I advocate for people forgiving. Yeah, no, that is so powerful. And I think it's so true. And it sounds so good, but it can it can be it's hard. It can be hard to do. Like honestly, and I think even when it comes to like sort of heartbreak, because it, I'm sure you've heard the saying, sort of like the, the three greatest le- teachers in life is empty pockets, heartbreak, and um, I forgot the third one. But those two alone can you know can be pretty kind of like emotionally hurt somebody to the point where they're not even functioning stably that makes sense and I feel like the heartbreak one is is one that's wow it's crazy um I don't think anybody's immune that you know a lot of us go through it 
but hopefully I think well I don't think it gets easier whether it's whether you're older whether you're younger but I just wanted to touch on the element of when we're in our sort of younger earlier stages like we're we're, we're meant to be the most energy the most charisma like to chase our goals and our careers now you've entered heartbreak or if you entered into a a relationship that's sort of weighing on your Mm. your time to do other things because I personally believe that you like time is finite that's for one absolutely your um what's it what's that saying so energy goes where attention flows so it's a thing where like if my attention is on someone else like i mean if my energy yeah my energy will flow to that place does that make sense absolutely yeah so um with you you sort of talked about you've experienced some sort of heartbreak you know yeah pivotal stages of your life when you're process to become yeah doctor studying Mm. so how do you come out of that with the fire and then you know you're meeting the mm. queen and or doing all these other no, great honestly, things Victor, while I was meeting the queen my heart was still hurting and I remember wow. there was like a week before we met her where we had all of these amazing workshops and stuff and it was like part of me was just so joyful and so excited about all that was going on but part of me was still hurting inside you know and it mm. was really weird because it was like this stark contrast of I'm living an amazing life right now so many awesome things are happening but my heart is still paining and I'm still feeling hurt and actually it was probably one of the most character defining experiences of my life because it matured me it shook me up and it showed me that the the world is actually really challenging and people are actually going through some really hard things and if I hadn't experienced those emotions I would have struggled to be able to relate to people because I just wouldn't understand like when my friends would be crying about a guy I'd just be thinking you just need to get over it but actually when you go for it yourself <laughs> you realize that man if only I could just get over it because for me it was hard it was very hard I am um, I, I struggled for it took me a few years to get over actually and um you know my focusing on my purpose became my medicine because even though it was difficult to focus because like you said my mind felt very distracted even in my book I talk about how you know I'm trying to study but my mind's all over the place and I can't even read what writing on words because it's just going through I just couldn't focus and even in lectures I'd be watching the lecture and if you asked me afterwards what the lecture was about I wouldn't even be able to tell you like it was very difficult and I did think I was going to fail because I took a year out of medical school to study a separate degree and it all the, the height of it happened during that time so I, I did think I'm going to fail this course but thank god I didn't um and it was difficult but you know I think in life you have to choose that I'm going to persevere and get through this you know, I knew in the moment I I, I I struggled to literally see myself on the other side. I didn't know how I would get to the other side. And I found it so hard because I literally felt like my world was crushing because this vision I had for the future, I thought, yeah, this is what it looks like. This is going to happen for me. And then it didn't happen for me. So I was just left feeling like I had been offered the world and it had been taken from me. And so that was really tough. And when you're in that place, because you're so emotionally heightened, it can be very difficult to perceive being on the other side. I mean, even if say someone's going through a grieving process because someone's died, it's like, you know, that one day you'll be able to function, but because of how heavy the emotions are, and how heartbroken you feel in that moment that one day seems ages away and you're just thinking how on earth will I navigate to that place so it was very difficult but I think it goes back a lot to my faith as well I just had even though even though the situation even challenged my faith as you'll know from reading the book I just knew that God is faithful and I knew that 
you know, the same God who started the good work in me is going to do it to completion. And I knew that the Bible says the blessings of God come with no sorrow. So I knew that if I thought this thing was so good, it wouldn't cause me so much pain, which means it's not right for me. And I had to just surrender to God's plan. And through kind of holding on to those truths, it it helped me to align my thoughts in the right place. But it was difficult, Victor. It really was. And, you know, it, it took me a while to get through. And again, it was surrounding myself by positive people, people who could pray for me, people who, who could uplift me. And it was just kind of going through, going through that tough process. It was yeah. tough. But as I said, it was uh-huh. very character defining and it's allowed me to empathize and to relate to people in such a more profound way. And it, it makes me so much more impactful. Um, so it was good for me, even though it was extremely painful. <laughs> yeah, no, no, honestly. And I think like the transparency you have is going to help a lot of people. Mm. Like, I generally think it's going to help a lot of people because that's one thing that, um, including myself, so I don't speak for everyone, I even speak for myself as well. So I went through something early stages of university and boy, was I shaken up. And I, yeah. it's sort of like you don't even know what to do do with yourself sort of and I've always sort of been a hard worker same like similar to you I'll say actually like uh, one thing I do know how to do is work right so (laughs) when things don't go to plan I get to work because it's just a natural sort of coping element then on Mm -hmm. the surface of things it can look good because oh Victor's just got this new business this new that new that but that's just it's sort of like the outcome of me just working but the working thing is the easiest thing is harder for me Mm -hmm. to sort of okay let me stop working and just sit in sort of solitude oh damn Mm -hmm. what's going on my feelings how do Mm -hmm. I check this how do I heal from Mm -hmm. this how do I sort of do I need to speak to someone? Do I need to forgive someone? So sort of navigate it. So just you yeah. hearing your sort of story yeah. and you literally echoing it, how it's, I mean, you, you were, you were meeting the queen and you're still hurting, but you know, that's okay because you exactly. needed to deal with that at the exactly. time. And I love what you said, because when you're a busybody, as I am too, it's very easy to distract yourself because you don't want to sit in that pain. So you're like, let me just do this or let me just do that. And I did go through a season where I went through therapy um, and that was more of a lockdown, actually. And um, that was really, really powerful season for me because I naturally love to feel good. I don't like negative emotions. So I would find it very hard to sit in that place. And my therapist would be like, sit in that emotion. And I'd be like, no, I don't want to sit in that emotion. She'd be like, make friends with the feeling. I'm like, no, that's my enemy. I rebuke you. (laughs) (laughs) But but in retrospect, I appreciate what she was teaching me because she was teaching me to live a balanced lifestyle. You know, how can we know true happiness unless we experience pain? you know, life is yin, it's yin and yang, it's about balance. And the reality is we're going to go through peaks and we're going to go through troughs. And yes, the peaks are amazing. You know, they give us so much joy, they give us so much passion. But if you're so fixated on that, it's just unrealistic because life is not like that. People die the same day someone's rejoicing that they've given birth to someone, another person's grieving that someone's died. And, you know, when someone's rejoicing because they've got an amazing business still, another person's grieving because their business is falling down. And so, you kind of have to learn how to have balance. And what helps me as well when I'm going through those seasons, when I'm feeling low or I'm struggling or things aren't working as I hope, I just remind myself that this too shall pass away. That even though this pain is bad right now, even though I'm feeling really discouraged, even though I don't understand why the desires of my heart are not being met, how I'm hoping that they'd be met right now, this too shall pass. And I know that these things will happen for me at the appointed time. And I just have to have peace and trust the process and trust God. Wow. No, it's powerful. I I just love the way 
you even speak with passion like when I'm like you back up the the text you know some people here <laughs> the text is not texting like when I see you in person but listen I'm getting more from this conversation and I love what you said about sort of having a balanced lifestyle I sort of um call it a like hashtag all areas and for me that's sort of like I don't want to be you know expert in one area and poor in the other does that make sense I think Mm -hmm. you know having that balance is is very good and I can see that you are actually a living example because you really really care about your health Um, I'm gonna tell them what you had for lunch like this was off record but (laughs) I think I need to catch this in (laughs) so what what can we eat for breakfast and lunch to keep (laughs) us going ask me what I had for breakfast so I started it as I had a protein shake for breakfast which wasn't too bad you can get away with that isn't it Victor didn't think that was too weird <laughs> he was cool with that one but then then he asked me what I had for lunch <laughs> and I told you that I had some veg- mixed vegetables like in a tomato sauce with buckwheat and avocado salad well, wow, but quick, guys, listen, if you're not eating but quick, you're doing it all wrong. But I'm um, not honestly. So you could just tell you have a well, you're eating very healthy. Um, You know, you you, you work out a lot. So I can tell you, re- you really care about your fitness. Um, And also you care about, of course, your actual career as a doctor. Yeah. Um, then also you run um your foundation, so the Armitage Foundation. And mm-hmm. um, I'll, I'll love to hear how do you sort of strike a balance in all areas because I feel yeah. like that's what a lot of people are now striving for no no one no longer wants to be the hot shot in their career and they're they're just you know down in the wallows in their, in their health <laughs> so exactly I think the key to striking a balance in all areas starts with identifying what your purpose is because the reality is that a lot of my ability to balance all the things I'm balancing is because I am walking in alignment with the purpose that I was created to be because I'm walking in alignment with it, that is why I've got like a grace is on me to be able to balance these things. Mm-hmm. Even with writing the book, the season that I was writing the book in, um, as a junior doctor, I rotate around different specialties. So I have a grounding in medicine as a whole. The specialty that I was on was the most laid back specialty of all of the jobs. It was working in the community. So it afforded me the practical time to write the book because currently I'm working on stroke medicine, which is so intense. I would have had no time to write a book. So it's even knowing the times in the seasons of your life, you know, and, um, We live in a society where we're very distracted by what others are doing. We go on Instagram, we go on social media and everybody's posting the best parts of their life. And so we have a false perception of what success is because the reality is even for me, I have some days when I feel so demotivated, but going back to principles, I choose to do what I know is right, irrespective of how I'm feeling, you know, but we don't always share some of these low moments and and life is balanced. So sometimes we're like seeing what another person's doing, thinking their life looks so amazing. And then we're trying to jump on their trajectory or jump on their train but the reality is that that's their train that's their path so if you want to be able to find balance in everything I'd say start by learning more about you when you have a deeper understanding of who you are and what your purpose is and why you were created to be that is when you can start to find balance because you know what to say yes and what to say no to you know there's certain things that even though it may seem overwhelming I know I can say yes to that because I've got a grace to do that and I'm created 
for that. So even though it would overwhelm somebody else, it doesn't overwhelm me because that is what I'm designed to do. It doesn't mean that life is easy. I still have to be very effective with time management because I'm a human. There's only a certain number of hours in a day and I've got to, you know, make sure I'm getting enough time for sleep and other things. But I'd say that it all comes down to really having an assurance of what, what you're created to be, what your purpose is and going from there. Yeah. Well, that's, that's all good. And you mentioned that you have a grace to these things. Grace to do like, what? What's this grace? Victor <laughs> <laughs> is asking the deep question. Um, so this kind of goes back to my faith. Yeah, I. For those of you who believe in God, this will probably make more sense. For some of you who don't, this might not make any sense. And I hope I don't offend anybody with what I say. But I do believe that everybody is created with a purpose. Just as there are over 7 billion people in the world and we all have a unique set of DNA, a unique set of characteristics, we all have a unique purpose. Nobody can be me. No matter how much you try, you could never be me. I could never be you. Nobody can do what you do, Victor, how you do it, because God created you in a very unique and special way to fulfill the purpose and the calling that is on your life. And when you start to identify what your purpose is, what it was that you were created to do, and you start to walk in that, especially if you're walking with God, there's a grace that is upon you to do certain things where even though in the natural, like using your natural abilities, it would feel so overwhelming because you're doing it with God and you're walking in purpose. It's like, there's just this grace that makes it flow. So it still may intimidate you. It still may feel like, oh my God, this is scary, but you're able to do it and it doesn't consume you. It doesn't burn you out. And actually when you do do it, you get a lot of joy and pleasure. Um, And it's also a grace that makes things that otherwise would be super hard. It makes it a little bit easy. So even with the run up to my my book launch because I actually launched it in person as as you know that I normally you have a whole book team that would or a book launch team that would help you to create a book launch but I was doing it as one person yes there were many people who helped me but I it was it was something it was like almost like planning a wedding I didn't know what I was getting myself into if I had known I would not have signed up to that (laughs) I went in naively and once I was in I was too far in to turn back so I had to go to the end but I saw that grace in, in, in the form of people reaching out to help me, people donating money for me, people saying, I'll do your photography for free. You know, so many people just stepping in and it, it just was, it was amazing testimony when I look back and think how that all came together. Wow. That, see, this is good. <laughs> this is good. And I, I mean, just to sum it up, I guess you mean like, so grace is sort of like the unmerited favor of God. Like, so absolutely, just, you don't deserve it. But some things that, listen, yeah. don't, if you, if you want to write a book, you may not be able to do it the way Leanne does it because you don't have that sort of, I guess, grace, if that makes sense. So I feel like yeah. you're kind of saying to, we should be like kind of our uniqueness, uniqueness is our superpower. Absolutely. So we need to figure out our purpose. That's why I think the first question I actually asked you, you said, how do you balance everything? You need to know who you are and about your purpose. And yeah. I didn't want to mention the P word because I guess it gets thrown around, you know, yeah. <laughs> so many times and it's all like, oh, what's my purpose, my purpose. Yeah. And it's a tough one, like for yourself, right? So I feel when you were young, you made that decision, you wanted to become a doctor. And was it specialized like a trauma surgeon? Or Yeah. But now... Is that your purpose? Is that what you want to do right now if I was to ask you? No, I don't want to be a trauma surgeon anymore. My ultimate purpose in life is to inspire people to be their best, to overcome a limited mindset and to really manifest the greatness that resides in them. Um, But even though that's my overall purpose, 
I have always linked that to public speaking. And I know God has called me to be a speaker. So I know that's definitely part and parcel. But that Mm. purpose can also manifest itself in different ways. And in addition to that, even though we can have like one key thing that we're about, we can also have other passions and other things that we're interested in. Like I'm passionate about health and fitness. And, you know, I'm passionate about entrepreneurship and other things and leadership. So there's still other areas that my purpose is linked to it but like my number one thing is to empower people to be their best but I still like to get involved in different things that are all kind of similar at the same time linked to effective leadership linked to you know making a difference in your community etc but yes that's my primary thing and then I've got other interests that still link to it okay and it it makes sense because now it's kind of like for me and a lot of other people you have that I guess you call it the North Star. You have that number yeah. one purpose, but you just take different vehicles to get there exactly. or different avenues. And I think that yeah. when you figure out, okay, you're in this avenue, but guess what? This is not leading to my overarching purpose anymore yeah. per se. Because I think a lot of us or busy bodies, when we commit to something, it's sort of like we've committed. So this is it. So we'll disappoint if we quit, if we go again, mm-hmm. if we move around. But I feel like we have to be fluid, especially in this generation where, you know, I, I mean, at the time of this recording, let me just say that something like crypto is up, then, you know, the next day is, is on the floor, like, and yeah. people literally, their lives are being scattered with some of the investments they've made. So, yeah. and I'm not a financial advisor by any means, but yeah. um, just wanted to mention that to see how fluid yeah. we need to be to be changing goals and careers. And Public speaking, I mean, I'm actually sort of passionate about that because my purpose, should I say, I mean, I can't define my purpose so fluently like you in one sentence, but um, I feel like I've been called to public speaking as well. Now, I don't even say public speaking, I say communication. So I feel like there's so many layers and levels to it because one thing I learned from when I was like 17 is that I just had a, not just had an ability, but when I started to go to networking events, when I started to sort of branch outside my friendship comforts and where I live so I know you grew up in Peckham so I grew up in Dagenham Dagenham and Barking around there but when I went to London it's sort of I met people I, I don't I even know people look like this just like different sort of people you start have to mm-hmm. talk you have to put yourself out there so I quickly had to learn how to kind of discern people before they even open their mouths like oh what, if I said something, would it offend this person? What, what what would it be like? So I was just learning people, learning sort of that emotional intelligence. Then mm-hmm. when it came to sort of, hmm, you know what? It was during lockdown when I had something called the 2020 vision. And it's sort of like I'd done some, it was on Zoom actually. I'd done like a Zoom calls. Then I started to speak more and speak more and speak more and speak more. Then I started to connect with different people. So I'm understanding different personalities so I can communicate in such a way to reach them although there's a hundred people in the virtual room physical room my communication's on point to everybody so i feel like you know public speaking is so so powerful and someone who inspired me was um eric thomas now he claims well i i believe he he's claimed he's the best motivational speaker in the world for you right is there any sort of speaker or person that's sort of you look up to or just influence you on your journey Yeah, I think as a speaker, I've never tried to imitate anybody. I've always, I've not even thought like that. But I guess the reason I've not thought like that is because I... I really believe in the power of authenticity and just being your authentic self. So my mission as a speaker was always that I want to become confident enough that I can allow my natural personality and character to flow. Because when you're on a stage, and like you said, Victor, sometimes you do need to adapt your um, communication style to different audiences to be able to relate to them and to meet them where they're at. But you can still allow your authentic character to shine through as you do that. And so that was always my goal because I knew that sometimes in my journey, I was trying to be 
be something that I wasn't. Like I tried to be super formal or be or say things in a super perfect way. But when I learned just that, you know what, have your overall points, but just flow and be you. And, and when I started to develop the confidence to naturally allow my personality to flow, that is when I became more effective and I just felt better about my speeches and I would get better feedback. There are people that I definitely um, love to listen to speak. So in my early journey, I used to listen a lot to TD Jakes. Though he's a pastor, he's very effective at communication and just being able to captivate people's attention. And I'd say that subconsciously, he definitely rubbed off on me. Um, I also love listening to Dr. Miles Monroe. He's passed away, but he was an excellent communicator. I love listening to Dr. Cindy Treem. There are a, a range of people that I listen to. And it's not necessarily I'm listening to their tips on public speaking. They are public speakers who offer value and wisdom, which I'm extracting. But in the process of extracting it, I'm also hearing them speak. But ultimately, my mindset is, like I said, I want to be confident enough to naturally express myself. And like you said, I want to learn how to relate to different people so that I can meet them where they're at so it was just kind of that I think my primary primary focus was just I want to feel confident speaking because I used to be terrified as as you would have read in the book so my goal was just to be comfortable on stage but as you kind of develop your confidence and you're able to be comfortable then you can be even more authentic and that's my other primary thing I want to show up as me and be authentic because then I know I've been true to myself and that's what's important yeah yeah so it's sort of, sort of had like subconscious sort of downloads as yeah you know, to other people and you can see it's flowing through you but your main um your main goal is just just to keep that authenticity in exactly. everything you do exactly yeah that's all big and like in your public speaking journey I feel like when it comes to public speaking do you believe that somebody needs something to speak about right you can't just get up on stage and be like hey my name is this person like are you on the fence of yes you can like everybody has a voice so use it to say whatever or do you think that somebody needs some sort of you know accolades or someone should be of some sort of um, level of intelligence or um, expertise to to get up and now speak about things I think it all depends. Um, not everybody's called to be a speaker. And when I say that, I don't mean that not everybody's called to speak, because as you said, everybody has a voice and your voice is important. Your voice matters. But not everybody is called to go on loads of different stages and speak to huge crowds. Some people hate it and they'll always hate it and they never want to do it. And they're fine with that. In my case, I used to feel uncomfortable about it. But there was an inner conviction I had where I knew that this is what I'm called to do. And I knew that I'm called to inspire people. So I need to stand on stages. And I'd also feel so proud of myself afterwards. Or I just had this confirmation that this is right for you, even when I would mess up. So for me, that was kind of my my logic. But I think that it's very personal. I think it depends on what you feel like you're called to do. Um, I think that it depends on what the purpose of your speech is as well. Like if you're standing up to give a lecture on the importance of a particular topic to an academic crowd, then yeah, you probably should focus on developing your accolades so that they see you as a reliable speaker because they're not judging you on how you know charismatic you can be. They're actually also judging the content and the quality of what you're speaking. So if, if you do want to be a speaker because you do want to stand on stages and speak, I think it's important to consider what value is it that I want to add? What do I actually want to speak about? What message do I want to get across? Because speaking is all about communicating a message, you know, and, and that message is unique to you. But 
it's a, it's a form of serving your audience as well. You, you're there to show up for them. You want to add value to them. And you can do that by sharing your story. If your purpose is just, you want to be transparent, you want to inspire, that's fine. But you can also go to work on focusing on particular topics. So with me, for example, I'm a bit... Overall, I, I define myself as an inspirational speaker because whether I'm talking about health or talking about diversity or talking about, you know, healing, it's all from a place of I want to empower and inspire you because I want you to feel uplifted that you can take the step to do that. So that kind of is my style of speaking. Um, but I, I speak on different topics, but they all, they're all things that I'm passionate about. They're all things that I care about. They're all things that I spent a lot of time thinking about or reading about. Yeah. And, and I just wanted to know, like, because you're just like a bundle of energy and joy, right? Because you are. Like, it's, 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 not, it's, it's not surprising, but it's surprising. Like, you know, you know, when you want to figure out, wait, are they just like putting on this energy for you, for, for the gram? Like, <laughs> like and, and it's sort of like, no, this is this is legit the real you. So I just wonder, like, but people like that, right? It, you can easily be that sort of um, kryptonite. Like, let's run to Leanne. We're going to get motivated, positive yeah. energies up. So who's pouring into you? Who's bringing, yeah. who's giving you that sort of energy? Who do you sort of want yeah. to hang around to draw that, yeah. that and buzz it's, from? It's a really important question you ask because you have to get the balance. You can't constantly pour out. It's very tiring and it's very taxing. And even being a doctor, that in and of itself is quite emotionally taxing because at times you really are dealing with matters of life or death and very sensitive issues um, and I do have my counsellors I do have my mentors they tend to be older women and older men who I go to who do pour into me and my faith as well I do bible studies I, I I go to certain people for prayer and encouragement so yes I do have my network of people that that pour into me and they're mainly like motherly fatherly figures and, and mentors and they do tend to be older than me yeah and you talk about mentorship and collaboration in the book yeah I, I, I know i'll keep on going back to the book but listen guys i am not joking <laughs> this is <laughs> wisdom and knowledge compacted a few pages you can get through this in a day if you really wanted to but um and and one thing i picked up from it was you sort of talked about like every mentor want to at least see their mentee is sort of like interested so you you basically yeah. said listen before you want to get mentor as a mentee provide value find a way yeah. to do it if that yeah. makes sense yeah I, I believe in that too so did how did you go about providing value to the people yeah. that are currently your mentors I think one of my most significant mentors who um, is one of my earliest mentors Veronica Martin she was the CEO of um, what's now called the Alito Foundation but back then it was the Powerless Foundation which offer leadership courses you should check it out Victor um, you'd benefit from that and um, they're actually offering a leadership course this summer so um, I I reached out to her after the course and to be honest, she had a genuine interest in the, in the young people. So she also reached out to us and we got on really well. So it started out just as a, a relationship where I just check in on her, she'd check in on me. And then I asked her and I told her about the idea I had, <coughs> sorry, which was for the charity. But at that stage, it wasn't a charity. It was just a little project. And, um, because she has a passion for young people and she cares, that's another thing. Sometimes, when you focus on reaching out to people whose values align with yours, 
you're speaking their language. And so if they can notice in you that this is genuine and, and, you know, they care. So with her, for example, she cared about young people. She cared about the community. She cared about making a difference. So when I went to her with that desire, it aligned with her desire. It aligned with her values. And so she wanted to do it. It's like with me, for example, if I'm super passionate about health and people know that and someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, like I I just bought all of this organic or um, I bought all of this amazing food and I, I just want to like give it to you or whatever, that's automatically going to excite me. You know, if you come and bring me some spirulina and flax seeds and cheeks, <laughs> I'm going to be like, damn, this is good. <laughs> You're investing in my health. <laughs> that will automatically like capture my attention so like I'm not saying it's to be manipulative because it's not about being manipulative because people can read through that as well like if you're coming and giving me stuff but I know you've got an ulterior motive it's not coming from a right place and I'll be able to detect that quite quickly so you've got to be genuine with it but yeah, I mean, there's no like one answer fits all, but it's generally having the mindset of I want to add value and I care and this person care. We care about similar issues. So let's have a conversation. And I think often it's kind of starting as well as 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 a friendship, if you can start it as a friendship, because I also mentioned in the book that you, you need to take some time to understand how this person works because you might actually really not like their mentor style. You might struggle with it. There are some people that are really strict and you can't call them, whereas there are other people that they're really free flowing and open you can message them whenever and so you need to understand that so that you don't cause offense and so that you don't have expectations that are not being met as well yeah no absolutely and I feel like I don't want to just get your inbox flooded but listen guys you're listening this is all about value this is the valuable podcast but I just read it in between the lines if you get into Leanne's DMs with some spruce that spirulina (laughs) of your healthy (laughs) foods no but listen like genuinely right we all care about our health and I feel like that's a way to go like just kind of inbox someone okay I see you're doing this health journey health thing like where should I start at least just bounce a question mm-hmm. um because like I, I feel like there's so much value that's that's given but you sort of have to teach people how to extract it that's not a common thing so it's, I sort yeah. of try to help break down and get people doing that but mm-hmm. just even on this mentorship topic so um do you have mentees like at the moment yeah, I do have people that I um that I mentor. Most of my mentees is in an informal way. So like I don't have a structured program of mentorship where I check in with one particular person every so often. Um, but I do have people that reach out to me who I give guidance to, who I support as and when. And obviously through my charity as well, that's quite a lot of um energy and time that goes into trying to support young people. So I do I do mentor people, but it's more so in an informal way. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I, I've, I, time is just flying. I'm forgot. I'm gonna get in trouble if I don't talk about the doctor and the charity. Like, we need to, we need to go back on track. But no, you, you mentioned your charity. Like, mentioned doctor, but sort of talk to me about the journey. Like, so what is a charity? Um, how did you find found it? Sorry, and and how's it going so far? Yeah. So um, the charity is called the Armitage Foundation, and the purpose is to increase diversity across UK medical schools. Um, because there's a massive lack of it. And when I use the word diversity, I'm mainly referring to socioeconomic and ethnic diversity across UK medical schools. And um, our approach is a long-term continuous intervention. So we support students who are coming from those backgrounds from year eight. And we're in the process of developing programs to support them up until their application to medical school at sixth form. And this is important because 
as I kind of mentioned at the beginning, there's like lots of obstacles and loopholes that you need to jump through to become a strong candidate for applying to medicine. And these are not things that you can learn in a day or in a week. They're literally processes of development that you need to go through. And the best chances of allowing somebody to really develop in these areas is over a prolonged period of time, because you have to develop all of these soft skills, your communication skills, etc. And they're things that take time to develop, even the way you reason things and answer questions, etc. So we're focused on a long term continuous intervention to give us the time to really invest that into the young people. And we primarily offer programs that are designed to inspire students, equip them with the skills that they need and the self-confidence that they need. And the um, the sessions are part, well, before COVID, they were part theory and part practical. So we'd go through like a PowerPoint presentation and then we'd get them to actually engage in an activity so that they can apply the skills that they've been learning. Um so that is the essence. And the, the overall aim, as I said, is to, to help them become successful applicants to medical school so that we can increase diversity across the, the medical schools and even across the NHS workforce. Mm. And of course, so this is a charity that we previously mentioned that you got recognised by the Queen. Um, yeah. You've got funding from Comic Relief and you've been recognised by a lot of bodies. Like I think you work with King's College London yeah. and a few different hospitals and in universities. So yeah. what does it take? to run a charity like a foundation because I, I feel like a charity I can just say a business right it's sort of I believe it's sort of the same sort of the graft the grit the hustle yeah. so, like what does it take it starts with an idea initially um it it does require a lot of work and that the amount of work it requires is really the test as to whether you truly believe in what you're doing and if you're truly being driven from a right place because usually if you're truly passionate about something and you believe in something you're willing to put that work in the sacrifice feels worth it that doesn't mean to say you won't have days when you feel like giving up or why am I actually doing all of this you will have those days but when you're truly passionate about it there's something that always pulls you back um but practically it does take a team of people you'd find it very difficult to do it all alone. And to register a charity, you have to have a minimum of three trustees anyway. So you do need a team of people. Um, as a charity progresses, you need people who've got different skills that you may not have. You have to think about things like having an accountant because you need to have a bank account as a charity and your finances get monitored. You know, you need to think about your social media, your online presence, your website. Um, you have to think about um, you know, somebody who can even lead on the board meeting, somebody who can help you with admin, whatever service you're delivering, you need somebody who can communicate with the people that you're offering the service to. If you're working with young people like I am, you have to think about safeguarding and having particular policies in place. Um, there are lots of components and you know, reaching out to people that have already started it or who are clued up in the areas, a lot of what I did and just following sound advice um, is what is what helped me. And my yeah. co-founder as well. We have a really different skill set that is really complementary. He's not actually a doctor, but he he's more into business and, and strate strategic type of thinking. So he deals with a lot of the strategic type of stuff in the charity. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's good. I think you need to know yourself what you can do or you can't, yeah, or you can exactly. sort of get someone to partner with you, outsource. And and I think you mentioned trustees. Now, I did not know that. So you had to, you have to have trustees to run a charity. Like, what is a trustee? Yeah. 
So a trustee, they basically hold the charity accountable to its mission and they help to govern the charity, meaning they help to make sure that the charity is actually working to achieve its purpose and it's doing so in the correct manner, abiding by, you know, the correct policies and principles that it should be. They're like an accountability board. You share ideas, they give you their insights. And normally when you have a board of trustees, you want them each to have a particular skill and insight so that you can have that perspective. So they're like, they kind of lead the organization almost. Yeah, okay. And they have a, they usually have a three-year term because um, you, you wouldn't want one person to be on the board forever. I mean, so I'm going to be an indefinite trustee and so would my co-founder, meaning would stay on the board forever because we are the people that founded the charity. But um, with the other trustees, usually they have like a, a lifeline. And that's also just to make sure you're getting fresh perspectives um, and making sure that things are evolving i guess wow so it's uh, so much so much things is moving at the moment so whilst you're building this currently as we speak like literally you work full-time five days a week as a doctor so what's it like working as a doctor right because i feel like doctors one of those professions or careers from young people know about like i want to be a doctor it's sort of but I want to bring it to like 2022, like what's it actually like, especially post um, pandemic, right? Which doesn't come so often. If I'm honest, I've had moments where I found it very challenging. I've only ever known the NHS in the context of a global pandemic when, I mean, the NHS was already a challenged system, but now it's like super challenged or at least at the height of the pandemic, it was super challenged, which made it a very tough environment to work in. And um, you do have days when you love it and you're like, wow, this is amazing. I'm adding value. I'm serving people. I'm being commended for what I'm doing. And then you can have other days where it just feels nonstop and you feel overwhelmed and you're like, how on earth am I actually going to do this? You're constantly being bleeped, this patient's sick, that patient's sick. And then they want you to do something else. You're like, oh my gosh. Um, So it, it does test you, but it's actually such a great opportunity to impact people, to serve people, <clears throat> And to relate to humanity in a way that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. You're seeing people at their most vulnerable states. You're seeing people who are sharing some of their most personal issues and struggles with you. You're seeing people who, you know, really challenge you as well. It it helps you to, to maintain humility if you allow it to, because you know, you you have to interact with people sometimes in such intimate ways. And sometimes people are extremely embarrassed, or you have to do really awkward examinations and intimate parts of people. And it really does humble you and does keep you grounded as a person. And it really is an opportunity to add value. So even though sometimes I find it really tough, sometimes I feel like it's, it's also what I need to be who God is calling me to be, because it challenges and grows and develops and matures your character in that way. Mm, yeah and I, I can clearly see that you're not driven solely by like finance like we can just chuck that out of the window I clearly see it's all about this purpose this this motivation this what you what you need to what you need to be doing is it aligning with God's will for you but like mm-hmm. so do you do you think about that like do you have any sort of financial goals that you Absolutely. urge towards I want to be a very wealthy woman and I believe I will be. Praise All the Lord. Right. <laughs> no, it's I, think, I think finances are very important. And this is one of the things I find challenging about the charity sector, because often as a charity, your limiting factor is resources and money. You know, you're often applying for grants or applying for different things, but these are often restricted funds, meaning that the money has to be spent on specific things. You don't have total autonomy over what you're spending your money on. And I find that 
you know, in life, in order to really create impact, you have to have capital, you have to have money. And, you know, to do great good, you've got to have money because everything costs something. And so it is definitely something that I think about. I believe in the importance of having multiple streams of income and thinking about how you can use your gifts and talents to um, make a financial way for you. And I, I do. It is something that I think about and it is something that I'm, I'm working on. And it's important to learn about investing. I'm no expert in investing, but I do, you know, have my lifetime eyes or I have um, a stocks and shares eyes. So I do think about making sure I've got my I mean, as a doctor or as the NHS have a retirement scheme. So I'm in, in that. But I do think about, you know, saving money on a monthly basis, living a lifestyle, not beyond my means. That's very important to me. Um, and yeah, I definitely think about having having a financially secure future for myself and for my children that will eventually come into the world, God willing. Amen. And and yes, you, you heard Leanne. I mean, you mentioned some key terms. They were going to break it down. So I saw individual savings account, which you can save, I think, up to 20000 per tax year. Um, LISAR is a lifetime individual savings account where you get a max of £4,000 in a tax year you can put in and the government will match it with 25%, meaning you can get £3,000, but you have to save towards a home or save towards retirement. Um, Just quick, some finance gems for you. But listen, Leanne, it's so like such a pleasure to have you on, on the Valuable Podcast. I feel like I've personally learned so much about you and so much just about life and just sort of, I feel like people who are older paved the way, right? And it's such a pleasure um to listen to you. But just to close off, like, I wanted to just ask you, if you were to just mention three things, I know we've got more than three principles from this book, but mm-hmm. if you sort of, because I know like we, we keep on evolving, right? So even in the time of writing, you might have come across something new you want to sort of throw in there. Mm-hmm. So if you were to mention three things that can help each and every one of us, sort of the dreams, the goals we have in life, you know, bring it to fruition, what would that be? I'd say it's fundamentally important that you have a vision. And when I say have a vision, I don't want you to be intimidated by that. I don't want you to think I need to have clarity over what the next 10 years are like, because the reality is many people don't know, but you can have an idea of what you want to achieve by the end of the year or in six months. And in the, even in my book, I say you might just want to lose some weight or get healthier. You might just want to say, I, I want to have a job so that I can start saving. And even though you may feel like that's not what I want to do forever, at least it gives you a goal in that year so that you're actually working productively and moving forwards towards something. So I'd say work on having some kind of vision because that is what gives you a sense of direction. That is what allows you to wake up and to have a meaningful day that is driven by something other than just lounging around. That's what gives you the reason to say no to being distracted and doing anything and being whatless. It's having a vision. I'd also say work on developing your, your muscle of discipline because there are so many distractions in life. And, you know, in order to reach any goal that you have, you've got to practice being disciplined because as humans, we are emotional creatures and our emotions can be very labile sometimes we can start a day feeling great and then midway through the day someone says something horrible or we get an email and a bit of disappointing news and all of a sudden we're like ah don't really want to do that task that I set out to do but you have to be able to move past that momentary setback or that momentary emotion and focus on the bigger picture and it's that that discipline is that ability to do what you know you should do even when you don't feel like doing it and it's that discipline that helps you to move towards your goal for the future and the final thing I'll say is you know don't don't neglect that self-healing part 
Because if you're operating from a place of toxic emotions, it is going to affect every aspect of your life. So it's really important that you don't neglect the self-healing part. It can be one of the most scariest things ever to do because it involves you being vulnerable with yourself and looking introspectively and, you know, really dealing with issues that can really make you feel awful and make you question things and make you very emotional. But it is very important. And even though it's painful, overall, it will bring out something so much more beautiful in you. And it will make you such a more balanced and stable person overall, which will allow you to just blaze the trail in all areas of your life. That's it. All areas you require vision, discipline and self-healing thank you so much Leanne for coming on the valuable podcast and if you're listening you know I hope you took a lot from it if you're watching you know this is the first time we're putting up the full video so I hope it was a good watching experience too thank you Leanne my pleasure thank you thank you so much for listening if you like this episode make sure to give it a five-star rating and leave a review Alternatively, you can send us a DM on Instagram at Valuable Podcast and sign up to our newsletter at ValuablePodcast.com. Remember, increase the value you provide and you'll rise in due time.